My words are simple. If I get them wrong, I apologize, but God is with us. Same here. (laughs) Yes, Lord. uh, I just thank you for being with us. I thank you, Lord, for his wisdom. And I thank you, Lord, for your presence. I thank you, Lord, for bringing Tim, our servant, here. And I ask you, Lord, that you open our hearts, our minds, and our souls to your word today. That you remove those earplugs, you remove those cataracts from our eyes, and you open up our hearts so we can listen to your word today, Lord. Amen. Amen. Oh, that's, that's quite, quite lively. Good morning, everybody. Sorry, I'm not used to these uh, fashion accessories, so just give me, give me a little time to uh, get used to it. And it's really good to see you this morning. And this morning, as Graham mentioned at the beginning of the service, we're following on uh, f- with our theme of God speaking to various men and perhaps women of God. I don't know what's yet to come in, in, in the series. But we've had Jonah and how God spoke to Jonah. We've had Moses last week. And this week we get two for the price of one. Because there are two parts to this story that we had um, acted out by the fabulous Open the Book uh, drama team. Two parts to the story. Two, two men of God that uh, listen to God, hear his word, and respond in different ways. So what, do I, what I would like to do this morning is look at how God speaks to both Cornelius, and then how Cornelius responds to God, and then how God speaks to Peter, and how Peter responds to God. And I think we've got a pretty good impression of that already through, through the drama that we've had this morning. So... Cornelius, um, he was a centurion uh, in the Italian regiment. He commanded a military unit, uh, and I think the drama mentioned it was a uh, hundred men he was in charge of. And he was based in the port city of Caesarea, and this was the largest port in uh, the Mediterranean in Palestine. And it was also the capital of the Roman province of Judea. So a very important place uh, where Cornelius has tremendous responsibilities. And we read in God's Word that together with his whole family, Cornelius was devout, he was God-fearing, he was prayerful, and he was generous. However, he wasn't yet a Christian. That particular revelation awaited him. And that's, of course, where Peter comes in. But it's quite a testimony to Cornelius' character that he seemed to be well-respected by the Jews. Because, firstly, he was a Gentile. And the Jews didn't like the Gentiles. And also, he was a foreign, occupying soldier. That's a bit of a double whammy. Two reasons to not respect and not like him. 
But Cornelius must have been doing something right. Something right to gain favor in his community. So, how did Cornelius listen to God? Well, partly he kept the lines of communication open. Those words again, he was devout. He was God-fearing. He was prayerful. And he was generous. And if you're those things, by and large, you're keeping your lines of communication open. And he was also praying. He was praying at 3 o'clock in the afternoon, which was the customary time for uh, Jews to pray. That was the uh, part and parcel of Jewish religious practice, to, to pray at 3 o'clock. And on this occasion, he had a vision. It's not a dream, and it's not a trance. We'll talk about trance later when we get on to Peter. But a vision. And in this vision, he clearly sees an angel. And the first thing the angel does is call him by name, Cornelius. Now, if there's one way to get your attention, it's an angel appearing in a vision and then calling you by your Christian name. If you turn to the person sitting next to you and called them by their Christian name now, you get their attention, hopefully. And it's quite dramatic the way this angel sent by God in this uh, vision uh, gets Cornelius' attention. And his reaction is also quite understandable when an angel speaks to you and speaks to you by name. He's pretty, pretty frightened. Verse 4 says, Cornelius stared at him in fear. Well, we've heard he's God-fearing, and this is an example of, it, of him fearing God. Cornelius stared at him in fear. And the second thing the angel does is to praise Cornelius for his prayers and for his generosity. So he's called him by name, and he praises him for his prayers and his generosity. And in verse 4, continuing, Your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. This, this really struck me when I was preparing this, that what I pray, what you pray, what I give, and I don't just mean financial giving, I, it could be time, talents, whatever you give of yourself to God, that can actually be presented before the throne of God as a memorial offering. Isn't that an amazing thought? What you pray, what you give, can actually be recognized in front of God. And Cornelius, remember, isn't yet a Christian. And yet his work, his faithfulness is being rewarded and recognized by God. And next, the angel gives Cornelius a very clear task. Verse 6, send men to Joppa to bring back a man uh, named Simon, who is called Peter. He's staying with Simon the tanner, the leather man, as the, uh, the sketch showed us, whose house is by the sea. That's very clear uh, instructions, isn't it, from the angel? There was no sat-nav in those days. 
And the angel is revealed very specifically where Cornelius is to, is to go. So, God has spoken to Cornelius. How does Cornelius respond? Well, he's instantly obedient. Do you remember Jonah? Do you remember Moses? Peter's coming up. But Cornelius, the non-Christian, is instantly obedient. And in verse 7, when the angel who spoke to him had gone, Cornelius called two of his servants and a devout soldier who was one of his attendants. And he told them everything that had happened, and he sent them to Joppa. So, God clearly initiated this whole encounter with Cornelius by sending an angel, but it's an encounter that has profound consequences beyond Cornelius' own um, walk with Jesus, which is yet to, to fully begin. It's a cons- the consequences are beyond his own need to meet with Jesus. Already we see in this story that other people are involved. The angel has spoken to Cornelius, but Cornelius has already involved other people. So God is not just speaking to Cornelius. God is speaking to a range of people. So, for example, um, we've had the soldier and the servants, but he's probably told his close family as well, because they were also devout and God-fearing. More people are getting caught up in God's purposes That's the point I'm making. More people are getting caught up in God's purposes. And later in the chapter, even more people are invited, including relatives and close friends that Cornelius invites when he invites Peter to his house. So, Cornelius' obedience to God, his listening to God, is not just for him. It's not just for him. It's for his close community, And in the same way, the good news of Jesus is not just there to transform the life of one individual, but to transform community. This struck me when I was preparing it, and I wrote this little little word down. It's not not a long prophecy, um, but it, it is a prophetic word. And it was simply it was simply this when I was preparing that part of this talk. And I wrote this down. This is what I felt God was saying to me. When I speak to you, it's quite often not just for you, but for others. Okay? When I speak to you, it's quite often not just for you, but for others. So, in this remarkable story, Peter, it's coming up now, his listening to God, his obedience provide the next part of the jigsaw. So let's, let's think about uh, Peter, and let's think about how he hears to God, how he hears God, rather, and how he responds. Well, like Cornelius, Peter was also praying. Uh, we were told he's praying on a roof, and it's a, a, an eastern house in those days. It would be a flat roof, and it'd be an outside staircase, and the, the flat roof acted a bit like a, a modern-day patio. Okay? So he might have a little barbecue there and his, 
is it chimenea? Oh, I don't know what you call that. Um, and his potted plants. And it, it was a place of relaxation, and it was a place of privacy. So this is where Peter is taking time out to pray. And it's noon. It's noon. Uh, and dinner uh, is not yet ready. And Peter is hungry. Have you ever tried praying when you're really hungry? Where's your focus? Where's your focus when you're really hungry and you're praying? Or, it, or you're thinking about something else and you're trying to pray? And there was no fast food outlet in Joppa. <laughs> McDonald's had opened up in Caesarea, but it hadn't yet, uh, the franchise hadn't quite moved to Joppa at this time. You can strike that from anything that's being, being recorded. <laughs> I think that's right anyway. Yeah, I'll just check my note. <laughs> so while Peter's waiting for his food, and in this state of sort of agitation, of, of hunger, he falls into a trance. Bible, uh, the New International Version, one or two other versions use the word trance. Trance. It's a bit of a weirdly spiritual word, isn't it, trance? So I thought, I, I'm, going to look, I'm going to look this word trance up. And I found this uh, definition of a trance. A trance is a half-conscious state characterized by an absence of response to external stimuli. I'll just read that again. A trance is a half-conscious state characterized by an absence of response to external stimuli. I was so reassured when I saw that definition because a trance state is quite common in our household. <laughs> and sometimes my, my wife, Sheila, has to repeat herself several times before her message gets through. And I don't even have to be in an attitude of prayer to achieve this trance-like uh, state. Maybe some of the men can uh, identify with this particular gifting <laughs> if I'm allowed to make a, a sexist uh, comment. But in Peter's trance-like state, he receives a vision. Remember Cornelius received a vision and here we have uh, Peter in this trance state uh, receiving a vision. And I like the slides in the drama because it showed you, didn't it? It's coming from heaven. The vision comes from heaven. And that's important for Peter because he's got to get this, God's got to get this message across to him. So he's going to start at the top. He's going to start at the top, heaven opening up. And he sees, obviously, the large sheet uh, containing all sorts of animals and birds and reptiles, kosher and non-kosher animals, ones that could be eaten, but also including ones, as we saw, that couldn't be eaten. And with this picture, he hears a voice which gets straight to the point. Uh, verse 13, get up, Peter, kill and eat. Get up, Peter, kill and eat. Now, just compare that with the way God spoke to Cornelius. With Cornelius, it was much more gentle. 
Cornelius, I uh, just praise you for the work you've been doing amongst the poor. And, uh, yeah. But with Peter, it's get up. What? Huh? Peter, kill and eat. And just as God doesn't mess about when he's speaking to Peter, so Peter doesn't mess about when he's speaking to God. Peter says, surely not, God. I have never eaten anything impure or unclean. I think we can all relate to uh, Peter's honesty. For his vision, and the drama again showed this clearly, is in direct opposition to Jewish law, tradition, and custom. In direct opposition to his religious, the Jewish religious teachings, which clearly state that some foods are definitely a no-no. And being Peter, the voice speaks to him three times before he gets the message. Sometimes my wife has to speak to me more than three times to cut through that trance-like state. But here, Peter, it's three times. Do not call unclean what God has made clean. And of course, the number three, as, as many of you will be well aware is one that resonates profoundly with Peter. He denied Jesus three uh, times after Jesus' arrest. And, of course, Jesus asked Peter three times, do you love me, um, during that post-resurrection men's breakfast on the, on the lakeside. Three times, three times seems to cut it for Peter. How many times... Does God have to speak to you before you hear it, before you listen, before you respond? How many times does God have to speak to me before I listen, before I hear it, before I respond? The non-Christian Cornelius heard straight away and responded. This challenged me, when, again, when I was preparing this, to not underestimate how God speaks into and is directing the lives of people who have not yet become Christians. And it's easy, if we've been a Christian for a long time, some of us in this room have been Christians for many, many years, it's easy for us sometimes to forget our own journey into faith. To just to forget that process. And of course, this is why baptism, uh, I thought I'd get the plug in, Graham. This is why baptism is so important, because it's a chance to tell the story, isn't it, of how God called a person. And it's a chance for that person to say how they responded to God's calling. And that's a tremendously powerful witness. I remember once praying for a non-Christian colleague at work. And he'd been suffering from a stomach uh, complaint. Uh, he'd had it for a few weeks. So I didn't, I didn't just jump in and say, oh, you've got a tummy ache, I'll pray for you. It was, you know, I was a bit more thoughtful than that. Um, but I offered to pray for him. And he said yes. And I was surprised. I shouldn't be, but I was. And when, well, now, okay, in the staff room, just him, just him and me in the staff room. And... I began to pray for him when the deputy head walked in. 
And I was embarrassed, a little bit embarrassed. And my colleague who I was praying for said, look, if I'm not embarrassed, then you shouldn't be. If I'm not embarrassed, then you shouldn't be. And he, as a non-Christian, knew more about the integrity with which um, one should act out one's faith than I did. Yeah. So let's not underestimate how God is working in the lives of non-believers. He's, if, their, if their hearts are in the right place, as Cornelius' was, God is touching them, God is speaking to them, God is revealing himself to them. Back to Peter, he'd seen the vision and he'd heard the voice three times, but he still didn't get it. He'd heard it, but he didn't get it. Shall I say that again? (laughs) I could construct a whole talk on that, couldn't I? He'd heard it, but he didn't get it. And it took the Spirit to, to prompt him further. And in verse 19, Listen, three men are looking for you. Get up and go downstairs. Go with them without doubting because I have sent them to you. So very direct uh, message again. I came across this uh, lovely quote from um, the theologian Spurgeon. And at this point, you see, Peter's pretty much begun to limit God. And God's having to widen his understanding. And so God's beginning to shake him up. And God will shake you up, and he'll shake me up if he needs to. And this is what's going on for Peter at the moment. Spurgeon wrote this. Shake yourself up a little, my brother, sister. If you are too precise, may the Lord set you on fire and consume your bonds of red tape. If you have become so improperly proper that you cannot commit a proper impropriety, then pray God to help you be less proper, for there are many who will never be saved by your instrumentality while you study propriety. Sounds like a speech from uh, Yes Minister. I don't know if you remember that from uh, one of the party political speeches we've uh, heard. But basically, don't get bogged down by the letter of the law. Don't get bogged down by the letter of the law. Follow the spirit of the law, the law that Jesus will write on your very heart. And when Peter answers the door to two servants and a soldier, he would have been shocked. And I think you use the word shocked and shocking in the drama. He would have been shocked because he would know instantly that they were not Jews. And for a Jew to invite a Gentile into the house was just not done, just was not culturally uh, acceptable. But God is beginning to soften and expand Peter's heart. As a Jew, he should have stood on the doorstep and said, there's a premier inn down the road, you can stay there overnight and maybe, you know, it's nice to meet you, but I can't invite you in. But not only does does Peter invite them in, he also, the scripture implies, he plays host to them. He doesn't just give them an overnight stop, he actually hosts them, he entertains them as his guests. 
thus breaking down these religious barriers of prejudice that had been built over centuries. And the next day, of course, Peter travels with Cornelius' men and some Christian brothers, because I think Peter's beginning to sense something big is happening here, and I'll need the witness uh, of fellow Christians to help me sort out what God is saying here. So wisely, he takes some Christian brothers with him to Caesarea from Joppa. Remember Joppa? That was the place, the port, where centuries before, Jonah set sail from to escape from God's call. And here, Peter is responding to God's call from the same uh, town. But he has a different calling this time than the one Jonah had to the people of Nineveh. This time, Peter is going to, to Cornelius' house at Caesarea. And as Peter meets Cornelius, they both honor each other. Peter has honored Cornelius already by entertaining his servants and the soldier, but he's also, he's also honoring um, Cornelius by traveling 30 miles, and it was a 30-mile trip from Joppa to Caesarea. And Cornelius obviously has heard about the reputation of Peter and sees him as a man of God and therefore bows at his feet as if, in, as if to worship Peter. Now Peter, he doesn't like this, quite rightly. And he says, stand up, I myself am also a man. You see, only, there's only one person that can take that level of adulation and worship. And that's Jesus himself. When Peter enters Cornelius' house, it's a massive step for a Jew to do, to, to do that. It's one thing entertaining Gentiles in your house. It's probably an even bigger affront to Jewish tradition to go into the house of a Gentile. Flying in the face of Jewish custom and tradition. But his heart and mind have been changed and he fully understands, or rather he understands, not quite yet fully, he understands the importance of the vision that God gave him. And Peter says, God has shown me that I should not call any person unholy or unclean. Peter understands that this vision about food in the blanket is not primarily about food. It's about accepting people as God accepts them. So he's understood what the vision about the food ultimately means. It's about people. And the Jews traditionally felt superior to the Gentiles because they didn't eat certain foods. And God is now shaking up that prejudice. And as Cornelius shares why he sent for Peter and how God spoke to him, Peter's understanding is then made absolutely complete. In verse 34, we read um, in Acts 10, I really understand now that to God, every person is the same. In every country, God accepts anyone who worships him and does what is right. So he really understands this whole calling and, and mission that God has placed on him. And following that revelation, Peter then preaches a sermon to Cornelius and the household. And it's an amazing sermon that covers um, the whole 
life and work of Christ. Just very briefly, Jesus was baptized in identification with humanity. Jesus was anointed with the Holy Spirit and with power. Jesus went about doing good and healing and delivering those oppressed by the devil. Jesus did this with the power of God, for God was with him. Jesus did these things in the presence of eyewitnesses. Jesus was crucified. Jesus was raised from the dead three days later. Jesus commanded his followers to preach the message of who he is and what he did. Many witnesses saw Jesus in his post-resurrection state. Jesus is ordained by God to be the, uh, the judge of the living and the dead. And Jesus is the one foretold by the prophets. Not bad for a first sermon. And this is the first sermon that the household of Cornelius hear. And yet, brilliant sermon though it may be, while he's still speaking, we read... The Holy Spirit has the audacity to interrupt and to come down on all those who are listening. Well, that's not going to happen here. (laughs) Spurgeon wrote, Oh, that the Spirit of God would in the same manner interrupt us. I imagine some of you have been praying for such an interruption since I started talking, but... (laughs) Thank you, sister. I know I have. (laughs) But it's great, isn't it? It's great when the Holy Spirit breaks in with conviction. And this is what happens here. Gentiles becoming Christians, receiving the Holy Spirit, speaking in tongues praising God, being baptized absolutely with the same equality that the Jews experienced that became Christians. Gentiles with the same authority and measure of equality as the Jews. This whole chapter is the birth of the Gentile church. And this is why you and I are sitting here this morning, 2,000 years later. Yes, there may have been Gentiles becoming Christians before this event, but they would have been encouraged to follow Jewish laws, Jewish traditions, and Jewish teachings as well. But this is the first time that God has set a a, a kind of new agenda, and it's thanks to the willingness of Cornelius to respond to God's calling, and it's thanks to the willingness of Peter uh, to allow his heart to, to be softened and for his understanding to be widened. It's thanks to those two two men that God's gospel of grace could be spread broader than God's chosen people. 2,000 years later, and we are part of this global phenomenon known as the Christian church. So... Don't underestimate God's plans. Don't underestimate the fact that God wants you and me to be part of his plan, his greater plan. And if you're not yet a Christian, don't underestimate that if you've got respect for God, he is already leading you and he is already calling you and you can meet with him and in in this church there's always a welcome to anybody who's 
asking those questions and wants to meet with Jesus for the first time, that will, that will be available for you at the end of the service. If you feel God is, is calling you in that way, as he did with Cornelius and his whole family and his relatives and his friends. And if you, if you are a Christian and have been for many years or just recently, don't underestimate how God wants to continue to break down walls of prejudice in your heart, to soften your heart, to, to broaden your understanding. Amen. Let's pray, shall we? Father, we just thank you for these two men of God. We just thank you for what they have taught us, how Cornelius was obedient and responded and engaged with others in his community as well so that your word and your, your gospel of love and truth and light could be shed further abroad. Thank you for his witness and thank you for Peter too, Lord. Though sometimes you needed to uh, get your message across two or three times, oh, it's, it's the same with us and we're often worse than that. But thank you for these, these men of God, Lord, and how you called them. And thank you for the implications that their listening to you has for us today. We pray that uh, we would be open, that our lines of communication would be open to, to hear what you want to say to us and that we would respond, not just for our own benefit, but for the benefit and the glory of your kingdom here in this place amongst our friends, family, colleagues, and in the communities in which we live and work. We pray this in Jesus' name and for the establishment of his church. Amen.